there, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada, and you're listening to Quickets, a short podcast about all things terrorism as seen through the eyes of a 30-year-plus veteran of the Canadian intelligence community. Okay, stop me if you've heard this one. I know there's times when I tend to repeat myself, telling similar stories over and over again. You'll have to cut me a little bit of slack. I have done over 2,000 podcasts, I think, in the past couple of years, thousands of TV and radio interviews written extensively about all things terrorism, so it may in fact occur that from time to time I find that I'm saying things I've said before. So here's another probable instance. Either that or you can just say, I'm turning 16 in a few months and I'm having a seniors moment. It's up to you. I have been a fan of the British news magazine, The Economist, for coming up to four decades now. I was introduced to The Economist way back in 1982, before I became an intelligence analyst, when I worked for the Multilingual Services Bureau of the Secretary of State in Ottawa as a Spanish translator. And my mentor, the guy that was assigned to keep this 21-year-old in check, was a, uh, a gentleman who was also a Spanish translator. And he said, do you ever read The Economist? To which I replied, why the hell would I read a magazine about economics? He looked at me kindly and said, you moron, The Economist is simply the best news magazine in the world. And it is. Some would say it's a little conservative. I don't find it that conservative. Needless to say, I have been reading it religiously since that year. I've subscribed to it for decades. I'm still subscribing to it. Read it online. Love their podcasts, etc., etc. And there's a feature that The Economist puts out every couple of months called The World If. And in this feature, which is generally about, it's in the middle of the magazine, it's about 14 to 16 pages, they go over speculative scenarios in the near future that arise from current events and current conditions. It's actually quite, it's quite neat. I'm, I don't read them all, but I must say I do read quite a few of them and find their analysis and what they think may happen in the near future quite fascinating. And the subject of today's uh, Quick Hits podcast is indeed a the world if scenario that came out on uh, July the 4th, American holiday of this year, and it was entitled Green Blood. So let me just read a few excerpts from this, uh, this particular speculative future scenario. The first the world heard of the self-styled Earth Defense Army, or EDA, was in February 2028, when the Jamnagar oil refinery in Gujarat, the world's largest ground to a halt after a crippling cyber attack. In a video manifesto, the EDA claimed responsibility for the attack, providing detailed evidence of its involvement. The group's mass leaders warned that oil companies around the world would face similar attacks, as would banks and investors associated with them. Quote, the planet cannot fight back, so we have no choice but to fight back on its behalf. It goes on that the EDA leaders were modeled on actual attacks that were carried out by the Earth Liberation Front, or ELF, which uh, was b big behind arson attacks against a number of, if memory serves me correct, fur farms and things like that in the States in the 1990s. The EDA, in this speculative scenario, praised the activities of the ELF and other earlier environmental groups dating back to the 1970s. It goes on. After its months-long arson campaign had little effect, companies insisted they would not be cowed by terrorists, the EDA turned to deadlier measures. In May 2029, an investment banker who had been involved in arranging a $75 billion in financing for oil and gas projects a decade earlier was gunned down outside his home in London. A local EDA cell claimed responsibility. A month later, a drone carried out a powerful improvised explosive, or IED, onto an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico, killing 15 workers and halting production for months. 
And the article goes on about how the FBI investigated them, but the case failed because it turns out that they uh, were doing warrantless surveillance, where we've heard that before, and that the it was the undercover FBI agents who coaxed the group's members towards a violent action, where we've heard that before, i.e. 2013 Canada Day plot in Victoria, British Columbia on the West Coast was thrown out on entrapment charges, which is probably bullshit, but eh, the court decided what to make of all this. Well, I find this really interesting because, you know, you've listened to me for a number of years now, and I talk an awful lot about jihadi terrorism, Islamist extremism. I'm starting to talk a little bit more about the far right. Uh, I don't claim any expertise in the far right. I worked uh, against Islamist extremism for 13 years at CSIS. I've written five books on the topic. I consider myself knowledgeable, albeit not an expert, because I hate that term, and you know the reasons why I do not use that term. So I'm a little bit reluctant to weigh in on this notion of eco-terrorism, which is sometimes also called far-left terrorism. One of the problems we're faced with when it comes to labeling terrorism is that with the exception of the jihadis, there are differences amongst jihadi groups, but they all have a fairly common base. We run into immediate problems when we use terms like far right, far left, etc., etc. Those two particular brands of terrorism uh, encompass a wide range of motives, a wide range of causes, and a wide range of ideologies. And I'm not so sure there's any coherence amongst those various groups that adopt and carry out attacks based on these ideologies. Whereas the jihadis, I, I, there's a incredible amount of consistency with jihadis in their literature, in their propaganda, in their videos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yet, you know, speaking in August of 2020, uh, there's no question that eco-terrorism as a phenomenon is on a lot of people's mind. There is ample evidence that the global climate is changing. Global warming is a reality. People are becoming increasingly frustrated that no one's doing anything serious about it. We have a president in the United States who denies it is happening. We have a president in Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, who he claims it's not happening. And he's not the only one. There are leaders around the world that dismiss that climate change is a reality. As a result, people who are working to slow down, reverse these incredibly negative effects on our climate and our ability to function as a planet, it wouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that they're becoming increasingly frustrated and increasingly angry they see all this evidence piling up and they see leaders, whether they're business leaders or political leaders or whatever, dismissing it, denying it, essentially paying it no attention. And a lot of these activists know that if we don't change our ways anytime soon, the earth will continue to warm up in a catastrophic fashion, such that maybe life on earth for us humans may become untenable, at least untenable for many parts of the world. Many sections of the globe may become uninhabitable for humans. It stands to reason, then, that those who are seeing their life's work ignored may decide to carry out acts, acts of sabotage, maybe cyber attacks, acts of violence like terrorist attacks, to convince those who are in doubt, those making decisions, those in power, those who matter, to sit up and take notice. I don't know that this is going to happen. This is purely speculative on my part, much as the World If article by The Economist is speculative in nature. I just think that we have to prepare ourselves for the possibility, maybe not the probability, but the possibility that in the months and years to come, we're going to see a different form of terrorism starting to emerge, not just emerge, but become much more important, much more lethal, much more expansive with a much greater geographical footprint, attacking a number of industries, 
oil and gas, nuclear, forestry, fishing, all these parts of human society that these activists have decided uh, are taking us in the wrong direction. I hope that I'm wrong. I'm hoping that the vast majority of people who espouse these views are very concerned about the planet, will not take the extra step and resort to violence. If there's any relationship between education and terrorism, which, by the way, there's not, you would think that well-educated people, because those on the on the sort of the eco front tend to be well-educated, tend to be college university grads, would know better than to embrace terrorism. Alas, there's lots of smart people that become terrorists. There's lots of people with university and college degrees that become terrorists. So you can't rule it out on that basis. I'm just hoping that the way they see the world, what they know that matters, they will not reach a point of utter futility in having their message ignored that they'll go on to use violence. But I can't guarantee that. I suppose the next couple of months and years will tell. We'll have to wait and see. That's my view on eco-terrorism. What do you think? Is it a real threat? Should we be worried about it? Should our security intelligence and law enforcement agencies devote more resources to monitoring and infiltrating groups caring about the environment and the possibility they may carry out violence? Let me know. Drop me a line on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content and you want to receive more, go to my webpage, borealisthreatenrisk.com, hit the subscribe button, give me your email address, and you'll receive daily updates free of charge every morning. Love to hear from you feedback on this episode other episodes or ideas for other podcasts you might want us to see me weigh in on i'll talk to you again soon until then stay safe